Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Keto Endurance Podcast. I have a special guest, Kim Howerton, the Katanist that I met on the Low Carb Cruise. Um, we were both speakers. I loved Kim's talk. And I have to say, I have other keto friends who are more up to date with the cool keto people. And every single one of them was like, you have to meet Kim. Did you meet Kim Howerton? Did you meet Kim? I'm like, I don't know who Kim is. But I finally did get to meet Kim, and she is as cool as everybody thinks she is. <laughs> Welcome, Kim. Thank you so much. It has been my lifelong dream to sit at the cool kids' table, and finally I've made it. Yes, you have. You are the cool kid. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And Stephanie, you are awesome too, so right back at you. I really enjoyed meeting everybody on the cruise. I can't think of a better group of people. Oh, yeah than the keto peeps, really. I agree 110%. They're so loving and welcoming and inclusive and just amazing. So I think that I'm going again in May. Are you going again in May? I'm not sure. We'll see what's going on with the rest of my schedule. Well, I booked right away because my mom wanted to go again. That's sweet. (laughs) So I went to the... Would rather jump off the boat than be on a cruise. So yeah. we're trying to get my cousin to go too because <laughs> my sister is backing out. But then we're going to uh, Disney World ahead of time for my niece's birthday. Oh, got it. That's nice. Also, yeah. somewhere I would rather never ever go. I have zero desire to go to Disney World. <laughs> I did a Disney World triathlon many many years ago. Okay, that was as much as I ever wanted to do at Disneyland. I mean, Nisha. Nisha Berry loves Disney a lot. And so I'm not saying it's not a, the most wonderful place on earth, but apparently I am alternative. I'm alternative too. Cause I, my sister, my niece is 25 and she wants, or she's 26 and she wants to go to Disneyland. People who like Disneyland or love Disneyland, they love it. Yeah. And then people who don't, my so, mom bought us annual passes when my kids were younger and we went once and we were like, Eh, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> so Kim and I were talking about being a, a voice in this keto space. And both of us have admittedly have very good results with keto. We love how the keto diet makes us feel, makes me feel great. Um, I've ditched um, my asthma and allergy medication. I no longer have allergies and asthma, but something that I don't have, I don't have the body that I would like to have. I am not thin. And even though people are like, well, you're not that fat. I'm not, I'm chubby. I'm not. <laughs> so it's not like I'm, uh, you know, you, no one would ever look at me and say, wow, you're skinny. <laughs> so, uh, but this, the torture of being in this keto space and wanting to share our message because we've had great results, but we don't have the bodies that we would like. We haven't, we're not there yet. So Can you talk about your experience and your thoughts on that? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. It's a real challenge, I think. And, you know, quite honestly, from my discussions with a lot of people, we're not alone. I got into the keto space because I was a life coach and I went keto. And this thing that I thought was the part of my life, my weight and my health, that I would just have to do the best I could with it and, you know, not have the body that I wanted was something that I'd always struggled with. And I went keto and just 
a ton of things shifted. I felt better. I functioned better. My depression was better. My symptoms from PCOS were better. My symptoms from hypothyroidism were better. Like boom, boom, boom. All these things were better. And quite honestly, the first six to nine months, I was like dropping weight like crazy. And I was like, this is amazing. And why isn't everybody doing it? I ended up losing by the end of sort of around two year mark, about 70 pounds. Wow. That's a lot. Thanks. Yeah, it was a lot. But the reality is I kind of wanted to lose more like 90 pounds. And so I had, you know, like, but I was like, "Ah, whatever, it's another 20, I'll get there. And then like a year passed and it still wasn't coming off regardless of what I was doing. And I'm a definite big experimenter. So I did like low fat keto, low calorie keto, more exercise, less of it. Like I did, I tried anything within the keto realm. Right. I tried. I even went sort of more high vegetable, net carb paleo. Still no like, you know, verboten carbs, but you know, more, more like salads and things. That was disastrous. And then I wrote a cookbook on keto cookbooks and proceeded to deviate from my intermittent fasting schedule because my job involved at that time making fabulous recipes like 10 at a time and then taking photos of them and doing this and that. And so you're tasting things all day. So I then proceeded to put on like a good 10 pounds in the wrong direction. And, you know, it's been super resistant to come back off. So now I'm, you know, in the wrong direction from where I wanted to be. And the reality is it has played some serious head games with me because quite honestly, I want to make a difference in people's lives. I want people to get the benefits that I've gotten. And it's really challenging when it's not perfect. You want to be perfect for people. Yes. You want to be the example and you want to say, yeah, I, I got there. I got to this perfect body. And then not to be able to say that is hard. And I I shared with you before we started that I've had people tell me, why should I listen to you? Because you're fat. And those are crushing words to me because the question I ask myself is, why should you listen to me? Because I don't have it figured out yet. My health is better. All kinds of things are better, but I still don't have this beautiful body. Then I have like my talk on the low carb cruise was specifically the differences between being fit and being healthy was sort of an answer to myself. There's lots of endurance athletes who are very sick, who are very thin and very fast. And in fact, they end up dying all from things like heart attacks, um, cancer, stroke, end up with type two diabetes. And a lot of it's because even though you eat a lot of, some people can't gain weight. I've had clients who are thin who literally can't gain weight, but their triglycerides go through the roof and you're still you know, in danger of hurting yourself. So I do know the answer to my question, but it still doesn't take away that insecurity. Yeah. I mean, there is a coach and a person to look up to for everyone. And quite honestly, we all growing up in the culture that we've grown up in feel like a 
person who looks like they should be on the cover of a magazine in a bikini wins. It, you know, yeah. wins everything, is the most attractive, is the most wonderful, has it all figured out. And, you know, there are a lot of people in the keto space in terms of teaching or coaching who have never been heavy, never been overweight. Or if they were overweight, they were 15 pounds overweight, you know, then it was like after they had their fourth baby. You know what I mean? It was. It's a very different thing than, I mean, I don't know your history completely, but for me, I was overweight by the time I was nine years old. I was chronically depressed. Like all these really not good things were going on in my life, including that I was approaching the point at which like I was getting, phys- I was becoming physically disabled by how, how my body functioned at the weight I was at. And, you know, when my clients come to me and they're like, you know, I can't tie my shoes. And then those people never say, Kim, you're, you're too fat. The people who say, Kim, you're too fat, I don't want to listen to you, well, they should follow the people that were never fat to begin with. Because when you've been metabolically deranged your entire life, sometimes you struggle in ways that people who've never had that to deal with just can't understand. Yes, I agree. Yeah, and the more I know, like some of it you're... It's stuff that happened when your mother was pregnant with you that you can't even go back and change. Right. I did grow up in the 80s. I don't know how old. We're probably about the same age. I just turned 50 in August. Okay, I'm 43. So I'm a little little older than you. But the the 80s was a time, the 70s and 80s, that's when the whole low-fat aerobic age Uh uh time got started and so my mom our family my mom's family history they all died of heart attacks so she was petrified of fat Uh so i'm sure i've had hormone issues my whole life and i'm about 98.2 percent sure that it's because my mom's low-fat diet when she was pregnant with me she i was born premature and then that the diet that I was given as a child and up to, I ate low fat until I was probably 40 Mm -hmm. and there's no building materials to make hormones. Then I did excessive endurance sports, which further exasperates hormone issues. So even though like I changed my diet and I got healthier, I don't know that I can fix all those problems, even though I keep trying. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel bad for moms. We blame them, but it is actually true. Like the reality is I have a, I have a ex, you know, I don't know if you're ever an ex anorexic, but I have a mom basically that had it, had an eating disorder for a long time, but was a sugar addict. And so in utero, apparently it was sugar bonanza time. And so I uh, was kind of born very insulin resistant and by the time I was at 15, I was diagnosed with PCOS, which is um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is an insulin-related condition. And I had been basically very overweight from the time I was you know, about 10, but definitely a sugar addict from the time I was capable of reaching for a cookie. And so it's, it's not all the epigenetics, you know, in terms of what we were born with, but then sort of the environment we grow up in. Right. But yeah. Um, yeah, and unfortunately for me it was a combination of a mother who hated herself when she gained weight and a house full of sugar. 
So it was sort of this like push, pull, push, pull, constant thing and a very dieting based culture. And so the opposite of a lot of people, there was a point in my life, I dieted, I dieted, I dieted, I dieted. And then eventually as an adult, I was like, screw this, I'm just done. Unfortunately, I went deep in the other direction and, and headlong plunged into unrestricted binge eating. And finally, I was like, look, I'm going to die. Like, and that was the reality. Like, I'd hated my body in some fashion for most of my life. But I hit 40. I was like, I'm going to be the cool fat chick. You know what I mean? Like, like I was like, I'll, I'll roll with it. I'll be awesome. It'll be great. But I never really loved myself. I like loved myself in spite of being fat. I didn't love being fat. And then I hit about 40 and I realized that I was going to die much sooner and much more painfully than I wanted to. Um, That's a pretty I, scary wake-up call. Yeah. Like, it wasn't going to be soon, maybe, but it really could happen at any time, you know, yeah. My aha moment was after I did Ironman Arizona and I still didn't look the way I wanted to. And then I decided that I read books about Scott Jurek, who is a ultra marathoner who eats a vegan diet. So I thought I'm going to try a vegan diet. And that's really when the wheels fell off the bus and mm-hmm. I, my health took a nosedive. And that's why I'm so, I'm so anti-vegan just because I felt like I was going to die at that time, I was like, I couldn't think I was not a functioning human being. And then I found paleo and then paleo and I started to get better. And then now I probably mostly a carnivore diet, but not, not strict carnivore. So I'll add some vegetables here and there. I feel tons better, but I know that feeling of like, oh shit, I thought all these, well, I was still trying to be fit. I was like, I was told a lie. I was told if I just exercise enough and, you know, training for an Ironman is a lot of exercise. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and then if I just ate low enough fat and not as much, like I didn't, I ate like 1500 calories a day and I was still fat. I was like training for an Ironman. And then like, while it, all that happened was I just became more and more depleted of hormones. So, uh. And then after the Iron Man, then I, I was so hungry that I felt like I couldn't stop eating because I was, I'm sure my body's like, you're going to kill me. You better add some food on there. And then I, oh. I think it's, you know, culturally, we've been brainwashed so well in the 80s, especially about sure. that. Oh my gosh. Macwells. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, macaroni and cheese. I mean, just total crap food. I was a baker, like I love to cook. And so I was the baker in my family. I, I found a cookbook a couple of years ago. I got rid of it, but it was chocolate and the art of the low fat dessert. So it was like uh, various ways you could do desserts, but lower fat. Yeah. Then you could use applesauce, you know, right. applesauce in place of fat. All this. <laughs> so it's uh, so nutty. It's hard sometimes to not be a little mad. Well, for me, I've got, I've looked back and not just mad at the marketing or the willful, the part on different um, organizations like the sugar lobby, willful deceit that, you know, discrediting scientists who believe that sugar was the culprit and really 
paying off scientists to push the low fat, high carbohydrate agenda. It makes me makes me mad. And then I go, I actually was supposed to go to a conference next week in Colorado for um, the endurance coaching summit, since I'm an endurance coach. And one of my favorite speakers, favorite authors is Paul Larson, who's a a very um, pro uh, keto adaptation coach. He's the sports physiologist for the New Zealand Olympic team. So if you watch the Olympics, all of New Zealand follows a fat adaptation or protocol, but he wasn't going to be there. And I, cause I sent him a note and he's like, Oh, you, you might not want to go because all these speakers are, you know, are very salty towards lower carb and they're not going to be friendly to your point of view. And last time I went, it was horrible. So I, I canceled because they're in the endurance community. It's like, that's the last bastion of where carbs were, you know, still pushed on people because I think keto is becoming more mainstream or at least low lower carb lower carb is definitely more mainstream but not um, in the endurance community no you cannot you cannot do any endurance training or whatever um, unless you're doing carbs and they have this new thing where they are telling you to train your gut to take in more carbs so you have to practice taking in carbs like every 15 minutes of different types of carbs and it's so ridiculous. Mm. And it's like, I still feel like that that's an area that can be improved upon. Yeah. Are you connected to Zach Bitter at all? Yeah. We used to both work for the same, work with the same guy, Peter Defty. I used okay. to work for Vespa Power. Okay. Actually, I think in 2014 or 15, we started a podcast. He started a podcast with Zach and me and this girl, Naomi land from Australia. And then Zach only did it for like a couple months. And, and then I ended up not working for Peter anymore either, but yeah, we, I coach the same sort of protocol he does and it's all based on OFM optimized fat metabolism. Peter Defty is the one who came up with it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I am like the, I actually just got back into working out yesterday. And so I've made a recommitment to exercise. I'm not an exerciser by nature. Oh, I, I am, but I don't know that it's much of a benefit. <laughs> so I, there are some ways, okay, this is my, yes, exercise is a benefit, but it has to be the right combination and the right, right type. I'm a big proponent of polarized training. Uh-huh. which means um, very low intensity, high volume is about 80% of your training. Higher intensity, low volume is the other part of your training. And I'm actually writing a program to test out my theory uh-huh. on ramping up the metabolism of endurance athletes who have lost a lot of weight, but have plateaued and they can't get below a certain amount. So it's basically a ketogenic diet, less than 20 grams of total carbs, not net carbs. And then as much fat and protein until they're satiated, but to record how much. Are you familiar with Dr. Maffetone? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So um, Maffetone heart rate training, um, at least two hours or more, they can go more um, one time a week, two times a week of what they're called 
Coach Gelb Bernhardt calls them miracle intervals. They're just very short, 10 to 20 second intervals with a four and a half to five minute rest in between. And then time under tension strength training to really activate those muscle fibers to see if that will really reactivate someone's metabolism who's sort of slowed down from endurance training. Because endurance athletes, it's a social thing. Like we're, we're not going to give it up, but it's like, how can we still do it and not mess up our metabolisms? I'll send you the details when I get okay. if you're interested. You, know, you could be like, I I'll check it out. Check yeah. it out. My boyfriend is a natural endurance athlete kind of guy. And it's really funny. We are a little bit of Jack Spratt and, you know, his wife. And he is not actually keto, but he can do like a 20 mile hike and like be fine the next day. Like he's just super conditioned. And some of it's genetics, muscle fibers, you know, natural. He was uh, also athletic when he was a kid. I think that it does make a difference if you were a sedentary kid or not. But, you know, think about the, if you're a sedentary kid, why were you sedentary? Was it because you didn't feel good? Because why do you move? You, right. Kids move because they feel good. It feels good to move. And if you don't feel good to move, you're not going to move. Right. I look at mine. I have three nieces and nephews. They're between like 13 and three. They're always moving. They have a trampoline in their backyard and a 13-year-old is on there every waking minute. She loves it. The, the friends come over, they get on the trampoline. Like this was so not me as a kid. As a kid, I just wanted to sit and read. I was kind of like, I had depression issues from the time I was about nine. But even before then, it was really like, I just was not comfortable in my body. Yeah. yeah I think it's just uh, your body, you know, being insulin resistant yeah. before you're born. And then also the environment you live. I grew up with, um, I still moved around a lot. I was hyper as a kid, but um, I grew up with alcoholic mm. dad, stepmom. And I'll tell you, living in that stressful, toxic environment plays havoc on so many things. Stress, yeah. stress plays havoc on your body. I think another thing that I think is underappreciated is uh, how much stress affects our metabolism and mm-hmm. how our bodies respond to sugar and fats and, and all of that. So can you talk about, I love your Facebook group, which uh, thank you for letting me in. Oh, of course. Of course. I, uh, it's called Keto Life Support. You post the best stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm stealing that. So I just <laughs> your stuff and post it other places. I was like, it's so cute. You're very creative. Well, I appreciate that. I actually started college as a fine art major. I like, I like creativity, creative things. I, my cooking is now my outlet for my creativity, though. On Twitter, you yeah. have a Twitter page, which I was looking at your Twitter stuff. And the thing you had the... I love the stuff that you post for one and two, the fat that looks like you put like animal fat. It almost looks like a dessert. Oh, I posted a picture of, uh, I, Oh no, this is my Instagram. I posted. Yeah, I'm a, sorry. Sorry. Instagram. Yeah, not Twitter. Instagram. I'm on Twitter, but I don't do much there, but yeah, my Instagram, I went to this, there's a local butcher. That's literally their name is the local butcher, but they're here in Berkeley, California, where I live and they have all the meat comes from within 150 miles of here, yeah, of the shop. 
And I just went in. I was like, do you guys sell fat scraps? And so they were like, sure. So I bought a pound of fat scrap to be like, what can you do with this? Did you so, make tallow? Did you cook it down? You know, I, I didn't make tallow because I have tallow that I've bought from their shop. What I was trying to see is if I could, because you know when you make like a ribeye and it's got like a fat strap right. on the outside and you can kind of like just eat it and it's delicious. I thought, what if I cut up the fat, will it make little fat cubes if I brown them? And it kind of did, but it wasn't quite what I was looking for. It was an experiment. So I just like experiments. I, I do like experiments too, but I don't like eating the fat white. I like cut that off and then from the rib, the ribeye or prime rib. I do chop it up and make it crispy. Okay. So I make it like yeah, 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 chicharronis. Yeah. You know, and then I save the fat for later. But um, you know, for me, like I've kind of transitioned to a mostly carnivore diet. So I've, I've kind of gotten to a place where I really... I don't add fat to my food, but I really indulge in the fat that is on my steak. So I really like a, I like that piece that's like half fat, half meat. Yeah. <laughs> I have, uh, it was so funny. The carnivore thing has gotten so big. Peter, actually the guy who I worked with um, and Zach Bitter used to work with, told me about a carnivore diet in 2014 or 15. Hmm. So I had already experimented with the carnivore diet before it got so big. So thank you to Sean Baker for really promoting. Yeah, he's kind of blown that shit up. Oh, can yes. I swear on your podcast? Sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yes. And I was, I, I did the carnivore study when they did the carnivore study and I had good results, but I hadn't have... I've met people who are like, well, the carnivore diet's going to make you skinny. I'm like, mm, did not make me skinny. Yeah. What's unfortunate is about a year ago, I did carnivore for uh, two weeks and I lost 10 pounds. And so I was like, okay, I'll do carnivore. And this go round, I haven't lost more than two pounds. So I was like, what's different? I mean, it's clearly something going on in me, stress, environment, something. And I'm trying to like be okay with it. Clearly the universe has a lesson to teach me. Uh, yes, I feel you. I feel like, uh, <laughs> talk about universe lesson. So I, I've been wanting to do the Tour of the Gila, which is a, a four-day stage race in New Mexico, super hard. It's a bicycle race. And that I've been wanting to do for years. So I decided that I was going to do that. And I'm like, I'm just going to train like crazy. So I ramped up my training and all it did was make me like almost bedridden. So then I, I went to, um, I talked to Dr. Nally and he's like, oh, come see me. So my hormones are in, in the hole again and I'm doing hormone replacement now, which I'm, I feel like talk about embarrassment. Like I'm embarrassed that I, all my issues can't be solved by diet and, and the way I exercise. I mean... I think we're so hard on ourselves that we have to be perfect and that everything has to, I mean, like the reality is that yes, diet and exercise and lifestyle are, are the foundation. If those aren't solid, it really doesn't matter. You can't. Right. You have to address those first. You have to get on a solid footing. You can't build a house on a, like on a side of a cliff, you know, without the proper foundation. But at that point to optimize the way you feel, I mean, 
it's, it's not like the dark ages. We have modern medicine. We should engage with it appropriately because it's not, it's not something you should be ashamed of. I mean, like you have hormonal things that are from way before you could do, you know, do anything about it. I take thyroid supplementation. Should I feel embarrassed that my thyroid sucks? I mean, no, it's just. Oh, it's, it's so dumb to be embarrassed of stuff like that, but it's like, I'm almost afraid to talk about it. Like, oh, well, it's, I feel like it's another thing. Like, well, if she knew what she was doing, she would, right. She would not have that. And then like the whole people are like, oh, well, you need to add in carbs so you won't have thyroid problems. Well, I will tell you, I have added in carbs, not this time around, but before, and it it didn't help. Right. So (laughs) I do think some of the problem is how I train. I train with other people and I'm talkative and I get to talking. I don't realize I've even though I try to keep my heart rate mapitone range and I look down and my heart rate's 155, 160 beats per minute. I'm like, well, this is not really where I should be. And then that's what sort of, and that's, I'm sure, a contributor to my hormone problems. But some of it is, you know, years of eating a low fat diet and doing really stupid things. Yeah, and it's just a genetic sort of Russian roulette we all play being alive. And yeah. you know, you 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 deal with the hand you're dealt. Like there was a point in my life when growing up I would look at other women or girls or, you know, people and I would think gosh, what would it what would it have been like to be to be them? What would it what would it be like to be thin? Like literally, I don't know what it's like to be thin. I don't, because in my mind growing up in the 80s, you were there, you know this experience, that was the holy grail, right? And and if you look at women in the 80s in movies compared to now, they were even, they were anorexic. Yeah. Well, no, they're thinner now. I don't know if they're thinner now. I was looking at a movie and I don't know what it was. My husband was watching it with Matthew McConaughey and some other people and the women are wafy. Yeah. I think muscular is, but go on. I didn't mean to Oh, anyway, that's all right. Uh, maybe it's varies. I, I, the supermodels certainly are thinner now. They're about the average supermodel now versus the eighties is about 20 to 30 pounds less. Really? I, so I don't even know how that's possible, but it is. But yeah, what I was saying is like, I remember there was one day I looked at this woman and I thought, oh gosh, what would that be like? That must be amazing. And then I like stopped for a second and I was like, you know what? Like, don't trade. Like if I could snap my fingers and trade with another human being, like I don't want to trade anymore. Like, yeah. Are there things that I wish I could like snap my fingers and change, but still be myself? Well, maybe, you know, absolutely. I would like things much easier and I would like a million dollars. Thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) Me too. Yeah. But I would not be who I am without the struggle. I would not be who I am without, I would not have as much, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but like, I wouldn't be so empathetic. I wouldn't be so understanding. I might be just a horrible person if I didn't struggle. I mean, I tend to be kind of have some tendencies that aren't the best. So, you know, maybe those tendencies would have really like clicked into like, not just like mildly annoying person, but like just an awful person. 
if I weren't like, <laughs> you know, if that wasn't tempered with the fact that I had to like struggle. I agree. And I, I can attest that my struggles have helped me with empathy as well. But although I know, cause I'm an endurance athlete, I know lots of very thin, very fast fellow athletes. They still have their own issues, right? Like they're, you know, it's easy to see somebody and think that they have a perfect life. Like they have a beautiful home and a fancy car and a, per, you know, quote unquote, perfect body. But then you get to know them and you're like, oh, they still have either you know, relationship issues or they're insecure about something that... Or they feel worse about themselves than you do. Like yeah. it's not a guarantee. I know lots of thin people. They hate themselves a lot more than I do. Yeah, I agree. And I tell myself, because I actually have a wonderful life. I have a wonderful husband. I have two healthy, wonderful kids. I have two dogs. One of them's wonderful. One of them's a little stupid. <laughs> so but you're not saying which is which. <laughs> so, but the, I mean, I have a really good life. And I keep thinking I'm able to coach, you know, work from home. Uh-huh. And so all of those things are pretty wonderful things. And I travel and life is good. It's that one hangup. And I, I guess my wish would be is I could just take that little, like it's a thorn. Yeah. It's the thing that whenever I'm writing a blog post, I overthink or I um, like, oh, well, can I say this? Because then if I say that, then somebody's going to say, well, she doesn't do that. Or, you know, it's just a dumb crap, the little ugly voice in my head that um, Jessica Reynolds from the crew says calls Ed. Yeah, eating disorder or that little devil on my shoulder that's saying, you know, you're not good enough. Yeah. And I think that this can be a little compounded. One of the issues that people run into both in, in sort of all walks of life is imposter syndrome. And that's like, who am I to say this? Who am I to be this? Who am I, who am I to whatever, fill in the blank. And it's not only about weight, right? It's about whatever demon we let get under our skin. And I think awareness is really important. And so I try to be really aware of this because titans of industry, you know, people who run businesses where their business has nothing to do with how they look still have that voice in their head that's saying, who am I to do X, Y, or Z? And we tend to undermine ourselves and we will find a way to do it. If we weren't thin, maybe it's something else. You know, if we weren't, you know, this, maybe it's that. Like the reality is sometimes our brains attack us and they're just going to find whatever available low hanging fruit might be there. I agree. So on your talk on the cruise, I I feel like I'm taking up all your time chatting, but um, it's all about me. (laughs) What I do. (laughs) (laughs) On the cruise, your talk was about coaching and how to find a person who's been in the hole who just, I'm not going to take, steal your thunder. That's all right. All right. So it's actually, I heard this from another coach long ago, so, but it was very impactful for me as well. Imagine that you're a person and you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you, you fall into a dark hole and you're like, oh, I'm in this hole and you're trying to get out and it's dark in there and you're scared and 
So a doctor walks by and says, well, I see you're, you're getting a nasty rash from that hole. Let me, let me give you a cream. And they drop a prescription down the hole. And you're like, I don't need a cream. I need you to get me out of this hole. Then a, uh, a therapist walks by and says, you know, well, how do you feel about the hole? You know, what's your relationship with the hole? And, uh, and they're like, I, I, we can talk about that later right now. I just got to get out of the hole. And then a coach walks by and they jump into the hole. And you're like, what is wrong with you? Why, why did you do that? Now we're both in this hole. And the coach turns to you and says, that's okay. I've been in this hole before. Because the reality is for some, in my opinion anyway, for somebody to truly be a transformational coach, they have to have been in your hole at some point. Now it might look a little different. It might've had some different details. But if somebody's going to do deep life work with you in any way, which includes, in my opinion, how you feel about yourself and how you function around food, they need to kind of know where you're coming from. And like I said, that doesn't mean that they need to have been your twin, but they have to kind of have some, some experience in this, in this arena. And so for me, that parable about what is a coach illuminates a lot because I totally think therapy is awesome, but it's not as action-based as some of us require. It's more about getting to some deep underlying underpinnings of why you are the way you are. Whereas coaching is much more like reality, here and now, moving forward, planning. And so I often liken it to, you know, say that you're addicted to drugs. You know, it's important for you maybe, you know, on an emotional level to work back and find out like what, where did this start? What's going on? Where is the place within me that needed a compensatory behavior? But while you're still using the crack, that's not going to happen. And you need somebody to work with you to get you off of the crack. And so, you know, food is the same way, in my opinion, for many of us. Now, there are some people that just have some misunderstandings about food and you straighten out the misunderstandings and they're good to go. But the average overweight or unhealthy person, it goes much deeper. And I believe there is what I think of as food addiction involved. And so my main goal in the world is you know, not to give everybody six-pack abs, but to free them from sort of the tyranny of feeling out of control about food. I think that's awesome. And I love the story and your description. I think that's great. So when people, uh, they can find you on your website, but I want to go back to, if you were to see Kim at like 15 or 16 or whatever, even 21, what yeah. advice would you give to that Kim back then? What, what would you have wished that you had heard back then? How, you know, I think that, I mean, I think that I would have wished a lot of things. And at the same time, I am a deep believer in the path we took gets us where we're supposed to be. I struggled a lot through my teens feeling just not good enough, never good enough. And I used food to compensate, to sort of numb my feelings, which then ended up in a sort of vicious spiral 
of feeling worse about myself because I was heavier than I'd like. And at the same time, using the food to make me feel better about how I didn't feel appropriate. And like, I just felt very fish out of water. I guess, you know, really at its core, what I would wish for myself as a teenager is probably some awareness of what people really thought of me. Because years later, you know, I, I'm friends with people who are like, you were amazing. You were great. Like I was really awesome. And I just, I couldn't feel it. And I think that's maybe part of the teenage experience, but I let it take me into some like really dark places that I could have used not going. Yes. I can a hundred percent relate to that. And what's crazy is I look at pictures from when I was a teenager and I wasn't that fat. No, but it, it was so stupid, but I, I definitely can relate to the feeling of not being good enough. Do you think some of that was from your home environment? If you had like a mother who you're seeing a mother who doesn't like the way she looks. I mean, yeah, no, I love my mom. I don't want to pick on her, but I grew up with a mom who never thought she was good enough. Oh, well, I, I'm, Hello, I'm the same way. My mother, and if my mom hears this, she would agree. She's, she was like that. She never felt, and she was never that heavy, but she thought she was always so fat. Exactly. Same. My mom, like, wears like a size 10. She's not a big woman. Even to this day, she's 75 years old. I went over and I saw her the other day. She showed me her lunch. It was like some lettuce. She's like, I got to get five more pounds off before I go on this trip. And I was like, mom, could at least put some chicken in it. You know, like, I'm just like, just some protein, please, for the love of... Anyway, but the reality is, like, I grew up with her saying, I feel better about myself if I'm hungry. Yeah. And, it, you know, as an adult, it breaks my heart that she... I, when I was... T- I mean, it's probably a, con- a little competition, but... When I was almost 300 pounds, I might have felt better about myself than my size 10 mom. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I fight really hard because the voices, I mean, I'm not a coach because I'm perfect. I'm a coach because I've been down this road. Those voices are in my head. They're in my ear. They're telling me I shouldn't do that live. They're telling me I'm not, you know, camera ready. They're telling me, oh, that's an awful angle, you know every second of every day and it is my job to tell them to shut up. I love that because I feel the same way that I feel like every time I talk like, oh, that sounded horrible. And uh, there's a, a guy in my cycling um, who I ride with, he's super fast, super tiny. He's like Alberto Contador, zippy. You probably don't know who Alberto Contador is. I have no idea who that is. He's a pro cyclist, but this guy is like super zippy. And I was like, oh, yeah, I have this podcast. And I'm like, he's never going to want to listen to anything I have to say. But I sent him a link to my podcast. Like, I can't even edit my own podcast because I can't stand to hear myself. He listened to me. He goes, oh, he sent me a note. I love your podcast. They're so good. I'm like, it's so stu- that stupid little voice. Yeah, we, but, we are our worst enemy. Yeah, I mean, even the other day I was like, you know, oh, I shouldn't do these things because blah, 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 you know, and, I, and nobody cares. And, you know, I got like in that downward spiral. And then somebody commented on my Facebook page, I listened to your talk about being a food addict and I think you saved my life. Aww. And 
she had listened to it, I guess, like months ago and had turned a lot of things around. And it's like, you know, who am I? Who am I to listen to the negative voices in my head and let me stop me from helping somebody else? That is the ultimate conceit. To yeah. let your own demons get in the way of saving somebody else's life. I love that. And I agree. Well, let me tell you, Kim, I trained yeah. senior citizens for uh, eight years. I was a personal trainer and worked with a groups of seniors. The oldest client, she was 106 and would fall asleep in class. <laughs> so, and I always thought she was dead. Oh, <laughs> so no. Drama. I mean, like she would go slack. And I was like, is she okay? <laughs> and they were like, she's just sleeping. But, but my point is these ladies are in their nineties and they're still worried about their weight. And they're like, holy cow, you're 98 years old. You've lived longer and you're healthier than you know the majority of the population. And you're still worried about how you look in a pair of pants. Like that seemed nuts to me. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want that to be me. And I do fight those demons. But even though I fight them internally about like what I tell myself and I look in the mirror, it's still hard for me to do the videos and stuff like that. So yeah. I feel you. It's, but I will have to say, people love you. Oh, thank you. How many people told me when I went on the cruise, they didn't say, go find Dr. Barry. They said, go find Kim Howerton. I'm like, I don't know who the heck that is. <laughs> <laughs> Some lady. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that people can relate to me. And I think that's all. And I'm, I'm very sarcastic. People sometimes like me. I love that about you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to your website. I love how clean your website looks because I'm always like tweaking my website. And I think, so if you want to, if you can relate. So to the people listening to this, if you feel like, you need some help with food addiction, then you can find Kim on my website. Yeah, at kimhowardson.com. Or you can go do the Facebook group, request to be in your group. Or yeah, you can request, and I accept you as long as you promise to be nice. That's the promise you have to make. So the Facebook group is attached to my podcast. So I have a podcast with Dr. Barry. Nisha Berry and Carrie Brown, and we rotate talking about food, health, and lifestyle. And oh, nice! So they both have the same name, Keto Life Support. Oh, very cool! I love that. I did not even know you had a podcast. Well, welcome. It is new. I live in a bubble, like I live in an endurance coaching bubble. Because my friend um, Jessica Link, who has the ketogenesis um, mm -hmm. group. Jessica knows who everybody is. And she tells me, she's like, when I was going on the cruise, she was prepping me of who all these people were because I did not know a single person. I've been in the endurance community since 2003. And like my whole life is endurance sports stuff. So I know endurance people and especially keto endurance people I know. Outside of that, like the only reason why I know Jimmy Moore is because I used to work for Ben Greenfield. Right. And I met him at a conference. You have an interesting history. Oh, yes. All about endurance sports. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. you want to train, I will tell you, I am very successful at getting my endurance athletes to get faster. I can get people very fast. I can't always get them very thin. When I was in high school, I, went, I worked out with a running coach. And he was like an Olympic running coach because a friend of mine and I decided that we would 
we would get in shape. And for some reason we thought running would be the way to do oh, it. Oh, everybody does. And yeah. what's funny is I'm five, well, I'm almost five, nine. I say I'm five, nine, I'm like five, eight and seven, eight. And my best friend at the time was, uh, well, she still is five, two. So we would go run and we just found our styles were very different. I would sprint, walk, sprint, walk, sprint, walk. And she would like just trot along the entire way at the same pace. And we would cover the same mileage in the same amount of time, but we had very different ways we, we like to run. <laughs> that's, um, that's pretty normal. I do run form instruction too. And it's sort of interesting to that, how people run. The, I don't know if you're familiar with the pose method. But, uh-uh. um, it's a, just a sky Dr. Romanoff, a exercise physiologist from the Soviet Union. He lives now in, here in Florida, but ended up um, showing people really how to analyze all these runs and run fast. Part of my coaching is also form. I feel like, you know, I changed my, my logo and everything to movement FX for a while because I'm like, I'm more than just keto. I'm about how people move and their muscle imbalances. And then I kept my keto endurance website and I looked at the analytics. And even though I was working a ton on movement FX, nobody mm. was going to it. Everybody was still hit. I mean, I had more traffic on my keto endurance, but there's more to getting fast than just know your diet even though like I feel like people come to keto and they're like oh well I'm doing keto for all these things but I'm I don't know I'm just babbling but there's well I think I mean I think from a non-athletic perspective I will say one of the things I see from the outside is how bad stomachs endurance athletes often have like they just feel shitty all the time and their stomachs always upset And that is a major difference with keto, I would imagine. Yes. And that's because they're told to eat sugar, sugar, sugar 24 seven. And that shuts, you know, the, you can only have so much sugar in your stomach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even in your stomach, because your stomach, if it's too um, concentrated, your stomach shuts down and all this blood has to go to your stomach to help with digestion. So it, it impairs your muscles and all kinds of things. So a keto, even though a lot of like Jimmy Moore's like, oh, carbs for keto, I don't support that at all. Well, if you're already lean, you you don't you're not metabolically deranged, carbs will absolutely make you faster. But the the key is timing for one, timing them, and also is that you require a whole lot less carbs to get a bigger boost in performance. So it's just instead of uh, 150 grams of carbs an hour, it's like 50 grams every two hours. So you don't have to have so much, all these resources don't leave your, you know, have to go to your stomach to help you digest food. Yeah. I, I know nothing about this except for overhearing various podcasts. And I remember somebody putting it in the form of like, essentially that, Carbs are a performance drug, and if you yeah, treat performance them, enhancing drug, yes, yeah, and if you treat them like that, then you might put them in the appropriate scheme. Right, that's how I view carbs as, but they don't make everybody faster. So some people can add in carbs, and it doesn't make them faster. Mm. And for those people, you know, don't add in carbs. It's just you have to test it, which I say testing your your nutrition all the time, but people can't seem to figure out what I mean. Just all you do is like you, I don't know if you use Strava, Strava segment, 
pick a segment, same time of day, try something new, and then do like a time trial. And then you are speaking to the wrong lady on that one. But I do understand experimentation. Yes. You know, so for that's me, yeah. Yes. For me, even separate from athletics, because I'm that's not my thing. But even separate from that, I would say we're all somewhat unique and even if we should be experimenting with our diet, period. Yes. Uh, And performance means different things, right? To me, performance means, can I get through my day? Do I feel good? Can I function? Can I do my job? Whereas to another person, performance might include running 20 miles. But each one of us needs to experiment on what makes us function, perform, and feel the best for our own optimal condition. Yes. And not assume just because something works for someone else, it's going to work for you. Right. My boyfriend can run 20 miles with like two chocolate chip cookies in the morning and nothing else. This is not my experience. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have, I'm married to a guy who's six foot seven and he weighs 170 pounds. Oh, he's a skinny one. Skinny mini. And he eats junk. And I mean, he's better because I'm still worried about his health because I remind him regularly, there's a difference between being fit and being healthy. You can still be thin and fast and still be unhealthy. So he eats low carb, at least when he's at home because of me. Yeah. Otherwise, if he wasn't married to me, he would eat garbage and he would still be skinny. Right. And that's just like the way, as they say, the cookie crumbles. Like I, I really honestly do think, here's where I come from. I think Keto will get you to an optimally healthy place, which does not mean the optimal aesthetics for your personal opinion. I love that. And I agree. I think I might have to do one of those quotes that Kim quotes. (laughs) (laughs) And it actually helps. I use this phrase with a lot of people and it sounds really like judgy, but it actually really puts it in perspective. Keto doesn't care about vanity pounds. Yeah. Vanity pounds are the pounds that are the difference between the body you think you should have and the body your body thinks you should have. I love that too. And I happen to, uh, like, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, Dr. Bickman's talks. Yes. I love him. I love him. I love him. I've got such a crush. Oh my gosh, me too. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're the best. And I even, I, there was an article that I wanted that he had referenced and I was like, it was going to cost $25 or something for the article. I'm like, I want to pay $25. So I, I messaged him on Twitter and he sent me a link. He sent me the article. I was like, oh my God, you're the best. You know what a tip I've recently heard is if an article is behind a paywall, contact the author of the article and they'll send you one. Yes, I saw that tip too. And also do you, I don't know if you know Travis Statham from, so he told me about, there's a link called science-hub.tw. And if you type in the article, it will give you the article without having to pay. Nice. Yeah. So all these like these citizen scientists who don't want to pay tons of money to look up this stuff. Yeah. But I mean, back to my point, like if you as a human want to do what is required to get you closer to the body you think you want, not just a healthy body, I'm not judging that as bad. Right. I'm simply saying it's going to require 
efforts that might not make you any healthier than you were before. I agree. And I was trying to, like, when I got sidetracked, because I get sidetracked easily. We're chatty. Uh, yeah. But um, Dr. Bickman said, the jiggly fat you don't have to worry about. That's not the fat that's going to hurt you. It's right. the fat on the inside. And if you get a DEXA scan, it'll tell you, like, oh. And I've had a DEXA scan. I don't have any visceral fat. So I yeah, have, have a little, right? I have like, it was so tiny. Like when they, the guy scammed me, he's like, oh, it's not even, I don't have any visceral fat. Don't yeah. worry about it. But then the jiggly flat, I have, I have jiggly. I'm with you. I have a very small amount of visceral fat, like comparatively speaking to anyone else that really is out there my size. And, and I've even had it confirmed in that I had my appendix out last year and the doctor was like, your liver is just so healthy. <laughs> you have a pretty liver, Kim. The funniest comment. And I asked and he was like, yeah, I mean, mostly we see liver, liver fat when we go in and operate on people. Oh, well, that's yeah. quite the compliment. I know I have a pretty liver. <laughs> I interviewed Jimmy and talking about, well, I interviewed Christine too, and they were talking about Jimmy whenever he started to cut back and his stress lowered, he mm -hmm. lost like 25 pounds and didn't change a thing, but lowered his stress. So it's like, there's so many little balls in the air that contribute to the jiggly fat on our bodies that doesn't necessarily mean we're unhealthy, but it does mean yeah. And I think John, John Lemansky does a good job of talking about this, Dr. John Lemansky. You know, we get really wrapped up in food, 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 food. Like that's all we talk about. And I'm guilty of this. I talk about food most of the time. But the reality is there's only so far that some of us can get with food if things are out of balance. Like if you're not sleeping, if your cortisol is really high, if you're not moving your body, I mean, I understand. And I think you would be the first to say that like exercise isn't going to fix a bad diet, but it is actually good for our health to be at least moving. Right. And exercise, there's no study that shows that exercise will help you lose weight. What it does, it does make your heart stronger, does help with your hormones, your mental hormones. It does make you feel better but it's not going to make you any skinnier. So exercise is 100% beneficial in the right dose. So I think for people who are non-endurance athletes, a lot of them do too little. But then when you talk about endurance athletes, a we lot of them do too much at the wrong intensity uh -huh. because it's not necessarily too much. It's just the intensity involved too much at two at the wrong intensity, I think is a bigger way of saying it, but it's just like learning that that balance is, is hard for people. And then just like, I think that for endurance athletes specifically, there's such a stigma with being heavier when they have volumes and volumes of, of hours under their belt of training. Like training for an Ironman is like a part-time job. It's like, oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's like when I was training for Ironman Arizona, I would get on my bike in the morning at rush hour and I would get off my bike at rush hour. I spent a whole work day on my bike. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that didn't make me skinny, people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But to the point, like diet is a huge part. Like if your diet isn't right, the rest isn't going right. to go right. 
but it's right. not all of the race. Right. I think diet, if you just follow the ketogenic diet and you have metabolic um, derangement or metabolic issues, that will get you enough to your, where you're healthy and you'll live a long and healthy life. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily going to do anything else. Right. But I think ultimately what I want for people is for them to live not just a long life, but like a, a life good that, quality of life. Exactly. A life that feels good to them. Yeah. Kind of un- got to unpack some of the crap in your head. I mean, I'm not saying anyone has to be perfectly, I mean, we would be boring if everyone was super, super like well grounded and everything. You know, I mean, hey, like I like unique people, but I don't like tortured people. I want people to be happy. I agree. I want people to be happy too. And I like that. So uh, thank you so much for your time, Kim. No I'm problem. so happy you came on the podcast. And the, you can find Kim at KimHowerton.com. You can find her at Keto Life Support and check out her podcast. And she is really super cute and amazing, which you can tell. And everybody, well, at least the people I know just love her. So awesome. I, love you too. I love you too. Oh, thank you. And my handle on Instagram is the Ketonist. T-H-E-K-E-T-O-N-I-S-T. If you Google that, you can find me all over the place because it'll redirect you. So, But my name is Kim Howerton, so that also works. So the ketonist, where did you come up with that name? It's a combination of the word keto and hedonist. Oh, I was like, where did ketonist <laughs> come from? Yeah, it's, it's because kind of in my becoming a keto coach, I realized that I had called myself a hedonist for years and I realized that I wasn't really a hedonist unless I lived in a body that felt good to live in. And instead I was using food to cover up how crappy I actually felt. And I realized, oh, living in a body that feels good all the time is actually the ultimate pleasure. I love that. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you're pretty awesome. Ah, thank you. I think the same value. Thank you. All right. Well, it was lovely talking to you and I'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye.